Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And so finally, we get into verse 7, and it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, remember, Satan was put in the abyss for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Now when the thousand years have expired, notice, in just one verse, we've already gone a thousand years. Satan will be released from his prison. Again, there will be people born during this thousand-year reign that will maintain their natural bodies, and they'll still need to make a decision concerning Christ. It's going to be a great time for the church and those who are redeemed, but there will be people that will still have to make decisions about Christ during that time. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Truth in Christ Radio. Our scripture today says, Satan will be released. For the thousand years of the direct reign of Jesus over this earth, Satan was bound and inactive. But after a thousand years are over, he will be released and successfully organize many people of the earth in another rebellion against God. They will do it, and God will allow it as a final demonstration of man's rebellion and depravity. Outward conformity to Jesus' rule will be required during his reign, but an inward embrace of his lordship will still be up to the individual. Now here's Pastor Rob. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. This morning uh, is going to be the last time, I think, for a while that we're going to talk about death and judgment, and I bet you're kind of excited about that. So am I. Honestly, it's a doctrine in the Bible that we have to deal with. Some churches avoid these things altogether because they want people to feel comfortable and feel good about themselves. But that is not uh, right <laughs> for us to do. And uh, as a pastor, if Jesus were standing before you, he would tell you these things. And so if I'm teaching anything different than what he has shown us to do, then I need to find something to do with my life that's different. And so it's important that we talk about these things. And we've been taking our time, you know, uh, and I appreciate your patience with me as we've gone through Revelation. This is the first time that I've gone through the book of Revelation, you know, obviously teaching as a pastor in, in a, with a congregation. And it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. And I can't think of a better time in our history of where we're at than right now that we're going through this book. I don't think it's any accident. And I couldn't have figured that out. I couldn't have orchestrated that. That was God's business, honestly. I'm not that bright. But he is. He's perfect. But this book is so important because it ties up, and especially the chapter we're looking at this morning is going to tie up all the ends. And we're going to see some very important doctrines in the Bible. And doctrine is important because doctrine affects your life choices that you make. The decisions that we make, if, they're not, if, if, if those decisions that we make are just because of our feelings, we better be careful. But if our doctrine that we read in the Bible, the, the teaching of the Bible, if we live and make our decisions based on those things, we're going to be in a much, much better place. God promises it. 
You walk with him, you know, follow him and do those things. And there'll be a great blessing attached to it. In fact, this is one of the only books in the Bible where it says that there's a blessing attached to it. And if the blessing is a warning, then that's a good thing. Remember, this is an unveiling of Jesus Christ, not only of himself, but his character of what he's going to do. He is the spirit. Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. He alone knows. And he has manifested himself. He's made himself known through this book to us. In his love, we see in the first you know, couple of chapters, his love to the church and correction. But even in his judgment, as he deals with a world that has rejected him, and while his church is with him in glory, he deals with a world that has rejected him. And that is a, the love of God as well. The love of God is just not all pie in the sky. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a God of great love has also got to be a God of great vengeance because when we violate his, his love and we violate who he is, there's nothing left but judgment. Does that make sense? And I want to talk to you about the heart of God before we get any further because this is the last hurrah, really, uh, in this chapter. And, um, but the heart of God... What do you know about the heart of God before we get into this? Because we're going to talk about some really difficult things this morning. But in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, what does it say? It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us. He's patient toward us, not willing. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not his will that any should perish either physically or especially spiritually in the second death, which we'll talk about today. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We are the only ones who make the decision, and he allows us to make those decisions about who we're going to follow, how we're going to be. And I want to challenge you today as we're going through this, what kind of person are you? Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. I hope at the end you will consider very strongly where you stand. And if you don't know him, you must know him. And for those of you who do know him, I want you to encourage you to wake up out of your slumber if you are in a slumber. Every one of us may be in a different place. Some of you may be doing really well. Some of you may may be barely hanging on by a thread. But I want to encourage you this morning that he he has the everlasting arms. And he's the one who holds you. He's the one who holds you. Even when you feel like giving up, Christian. The Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, As I live, says the Lord, this is Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Know this about God, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? O house of Israel. And I think he would say that to us today. He could say that to any people group. Choose life. Choose life. In Deuteronomy, uh, God through the, uh, Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses, against, uh, witnesses today against you. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. And he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life. 
This is the character of God. He loves people. He loves you. It's not his desire for people to go to hell. By the way, he doesn't send anybody to hell. Did you know that? You may be gasping in horror. What do you mean? He doesn't send anybody there. They make the decision. We're going to look at today. We're going to look at that this morning as we see the book and the books that are opened at the white throne judgment. God simply confirms the decision that you have made. He doesn't send anyone, anybody there. I like that. Even though he could, he chooses to let you make the decision. And boy, that free will is a tricky thing, isn't it? I can choose him or I can deny him. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. We're going to just go over verses 4 and 5 again because I want to clear up something that maybe some of you may have been confused on. And it can be a slippery topic if, it's, if I don't share it well. So I just want to go over this again briefly. Uh, last week we, we looked at the first six verses, and in verse 5 it talked about this first resurrection. And I'm hoping to clear that up for you. And I'm going to show this uh, slide up here on the screen a number of times in the first few minutes this morning to kind of give you an idea. But I want to show you um, some things about it. Oh, let me back up here. Um, if you notice, down here in the lower left-hand corner, there are three things in red, and then there's one thing in blue over here. And uh, what I want to show you is the color is there. I, I made that on purpose because to show you that the first resurrection really includes uh, phases, if you will. The very first phase we see was when uh, Jesus was resurrected after his crucifixion. So there's the cross. He was resurrected. That's called the first resurrection. That's part of the first resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits. We'll look at that a little bit later. And then we have the church age, which we are still a part of. Now, this chart is not to scale, <laughs> okay? And it's not proportionate. It, it, it's not... Um, so anyway, so after the church age, the rapture of the church occurs. That's also a part of the first resurrection because we, we just like Jesus, we receive a brand new body. It's not a body that is raised and then has to die again, as we saw with Lazarus. This is a physical resurrection, a new resurrection body, and the church receives that here. And then we also found out in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 20 here that there's going to be a resurrection sometime at the second coming of Jesus, either simultaneous with his second coming or shortly thereafter and as he begins his millennial reign. At some point in that time frame, there's also going to be a resurrection of not only the tribulation saints, those who were martyred in the tribulation, but also all of the Old Testament saints that died in faith who are still in the graves. See, when we talk about the rapture of the church, that's the, the people who have believed in Christ since the church was born. Those people arise. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 4, they, the dead in Christ will rise, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, will be transformed and taken to heaven while God pours out his wrath for seven years on a world that has rejected him. But at the end of that time period, we have another resurrection where the uh, tribulation saints will receive their new bodies. The Old Testament saints who look forward in faith to Christ, they will receive their new bodies. This, in totality, is the first resurrection. And I'll show that to you later. We'll look at what Paul has to say about that in 1 Corinthians 13. 
So let's back up to verse 4 here really quick. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's a literal thousand years. We call it the millennium. But the rest of the dead, and this is speaking of the wicked dead, those who have rejected Christ, they did not live again until the thousand years are completed, or until they're finished. This is the first resurrection. That phrase, this is the first resurrection, really ties back to the end of verse 4. Don't think that the, the, the wicked dead being judged is the first resurrection. It really, you could really stick that phrase at the end of chapter 4, and it would probably make a little more sense to you. So this phrase is referring to the end of verse 4. We know that from Revelation 19 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that the church will have already taken part of this first resurrection when we are taken up to him. And that's what's labeled in red here. And we know that Daniel the prophet also tells us in his prophecy that the Old Testament saints will also take part of the first resurrection, which will occur around the same time as the tribulation saints at the second coming, or shortly thereafter. And you can see that. It's the third red there uh, uh, section there on the right-hand side. Daniel, just so you understand this, in chapters 1 and 2 of chapter 12, he says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is Michael the archangel. Notice what it says. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never... That was uh, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people, and remember, the, 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 <laughs> the angel, Gabriel, or angel Michael is talking to Daniel, talking about his people, notice. Even to that time, and that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Notice. And many of those who sleep in the dust, meaning who have died, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Let me suggest to you that the everlasting life part is those first three, uh, the, the first resurrection. And we're going to talk about a second resurrection. The first resurrection included all those three things, but there's a second resurrection that has nothing to do with believers at all. It's a second resurrection of those who have rejected Christ. They will be resurrected and brought before the great white throne, and we will see that. Notice in verse 13 of Daniel 12, the angel spoke to Daniel specifically. He says, but you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Isn't that exciting for Daniel to hear? And that's exactly what happened. And so we look at this chart again to, to help you out with this. See, all unbelievers, in verse 5 it says that, but the rest of the dead, the wicked dead, will not live until the thousand years have expired. All unbelievers from all of time will not be resurrected until the thousand years are completed. And it will happen at the great white throne judgment, which we are going to look at this morning in verses 11 through 15. This great white throne judgment could also be called the second resurrection. It is a resurrection of the wicked dead. We've said that. 
It's also called the resurrection of the just. Jesus in Luke's gospel says, But when you give a feast, and here he's speaking directly to one of the rulers of the Pharisees who invited him to eat on the Sabbath at his home. And Jesus said to him, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this first resurrection is also called the resurrection of the just. This man, if he gave his heart to Christ, will, will receive a new body sometime around the second coming when Jesus comes back to the earth. He's going to be resurrected along with the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. But I want to bring to your mind the passage in 1 Corinthians that Paul spoke. And I really think this is a great key to all of this. And it's right here for us. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those um, has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or had died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And here it is, verse 23, the most important verse. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. He died and was resurrected, a brand new body. That old body was not in the grave. You remember? They went in, they didn't see it. God transformed it. He received a new body, just like you and I are going to receive. But Christ, the firstfruits, and then notice, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. When we think of Jesus' coming, it's really two separate events, isn't it? When he comes for us, the church, we meet him in the clouds, remember? 1 Thessalonians 4, in the rapture. But then he comes back again at the end of that seven-year period. He comes down physically to the earth, his second coming, we call it. This is the coming of the Lord. There's going to be a resurrection at each of those moments. The church first in the rapture, and then the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, which we have looked at last week. These members in verse 4 that we were talking about, they will all be resurrected together. And so there's three phases. We, are, we've, we've, we just looked at those. And again, there's our graph that will help you. I'm going to leave that up for a little bit. Let's go on to verse 6. He says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. I should think so. This is called the blessed hope for you and I. After Christ has been resurrected, the very next thing in the, in the, in the program of the first resurrection is you and I being taken up to meet the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about that. I mean, honestly, there really is nothing I want more than to see him face to face. I've, I've had it with this world. I'm done. The only reason I'm here is to be a light and to show people and tell them about his love and his grace and his truth and the warning that comes along with that. That's my only purpose. Other than that, I'm done. <laughs> Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Amen. Notice, over such, the second death has no power. No power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. What? A hundred days? A hundred years? No, a thousand years. He mentions this six times in this chapter. It is a literal time period of a thousand years. It's not meant to be metaphoric. It's not meant to be an allegory. It literally means a thousand years. Otherwise, it would say something else. And the first time we hear of this idea of the second death was in Jesus' letter, remember, back in Revelation 2 when he wrote the letter to Smyrna. And he told them, you know, some of the good things they were doing. But at the end of the letter, as he always did, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death. We all die a physical death, usually. Unless the Lord comes right now, then we'll never die and then we'll be caught up. That'd be, I'd like that better, actually. But the second death is eternal death, eternal damnation. It's what no pastor likes to talk about. It's what many churches in our cities and in our country, many churches don't like to talk about because it would make people don't want to come. They don't want to hear about these things. But it's part of it, isn't it? Because when we get into Matthew in a couple weeks, we'll start Matthew and all of a sudden the colors change. But right now, we've got to deal with this because it's true. The second death or the second resurrection is, or actually the second resurrection and the second death, they are reserved for unbelievers. John, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said this. He says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection of life is the first resurrection. And the resurrection of condemnation is the second resurrection. And the, the second death, which, which comes immediately after that resurrection. Does that make sense? And so finally, we get into verse 7. And it says, now when the thousand years have expired, remember, Satan was put in the abyss for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Now when the thousand years have expired, notice, in just one verse, we've already gone a thousand years. Satan will be released from his prison. Again, there will be people born during this thousand-year reign that will maintain their natural bodies, and they'll still need to make a decision concerning Christ. It's going to be a great time for the church and those who are redeemed, but there will be people that will still have to make decisions about Christ during that time. And longevity of life will be the standard because the curse will be lifted to some extent or to a greater extent. We don't really know the full extent of that, but the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 65 that, that even for a child, for a person to die, even at a hundred years of age, because the curse will be lifted, will be like infant death syndrome. That's what it will be like because the longevity will be restored. Right now, we may live 80, 90, 100 years if we're doing really well. But in the millennium, somebody who dies at 100 is going to be like an infant. They just started, and now they're dead. It's going to be very unusual. Isaiah says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and set their fruit, and eat their fruit, excuse me. And that's pretty significant. And notice, but remember, the church, during the millennium, we uh, will have our resurrection bodies at that time. And based on what Jesus said, we will not be given in marriage. So I'm assuming we won't be having children. There will be plenty of other people having children. Our role will be different then. We'll rule and reign with him. So you may ask, why was Satan bound for a thousand years? Perhaps for the very reason that 
regardless of where you've grown up, regardless of your environment, whether you grew up in a great environment or a not-so-good environment, whether you grew up in a world that was dominated by Satan or in a world that was dominated by Jesus Christ himself, the propensity of man... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.